One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Vex murdered three children. I mean, child that's, killer. That's Which, that's pretty bad. I he mean, would definitely be cancelled today. I, totally I, I cancelled. I, I don't know whether the execs would have let that one go today. Yeah, I don't. I don't Next think that it would happen. I'm not so just, sure. <laughs> My name is Anna Silk. For six seasons, I played Bo on the hit TV series Lost Girl. I am so happy you are here for the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast to take a trip down memory lane with me, the amazing cast, and some very special guests. I'm so glad to finally be able to say the family is back together again. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast. We are here to discuss Season 1, Episode 8. So without further ado, I will introduce my wonderful co-host for today. He is the unparalleled talent that brought our pilot episode to the next level. His character of Vex sometimes wore more eyeliner than Bo and always gave her a run for her money. Please welcome. I'm so excited. My God. Please welcome my friend, Paul Amos. <laughs> of course, Paul, I love you so much. Is this a new hairdo you're rocking? It's it's what's left over from my Vex wig. <laughs> you know what? You you re, it you reused it. Yeah. It's a really good look. It's a yeah, really, really good look for you. I just did that. Anyway. Thank you, Paul, for being here today for the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast. It's so good to be here. It's so good to see you. You too. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time I saw you in person. I know. I can't remember the last time I saw anybody after the past <laughs> two years. <laughs> I don't I know. Happened. Well, you look fantastic. Um, you. Your hair looks really you. dry. 
<laughs> Stop it. This is a, this is a little bit of an earlier joke, folks. Um, people watching thought my hair looked wet. It's not wet. I don't air dry, Paul. I can't air dry. Um, okay. So let's jump in because you are here today to talk to me about season one, episode eight, which as many people know, and as we certainly know, was our pilot for Lost Girl. It was. It was. was. Um, Written by Michelle Avretta. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And directed by John Fawcett, who was incredible. Um, And the basic synopsis of the episode is that Bo is looking into a woman who is on death row, who is accused of killing her own children. But it turns out that she was actually controlled by Vex for choosing humans over Faye. Um, so my first question for for both of us is how did you feel watching the episode and what were your first impressions rewatching it? Uh, oh, Christ. That episode was insane because as you remember, like we filmed that, what was it, back in 2009, right? It was November of? You know what? It was, I know it was January because I got the part in December. Oh, that's right. Yes. It was January. Yeah, I, I got the part I, in December and then it was like, okay, I, ca- I can't eat any sweets because that's right. <laughs> we're all, starting all in the, January. All the auditions were in November for me anyway. Yes, yes. And then that's right, because I remember going away to Morocco um, with Danielle. And I remember having, to, back in the day where somewhere like Morocco was harder to get phone calls from people from afar, you know. Um, and I remember- <laughs> way, way like, Way back when I had to go into an internet cafe um, to pick up any messages. And I remember getting a message from my agent saying that you need to call me. And she had called me and I, uh, you know, and I wasn't there. Um, I was in Morocco. <laughs> Clearly, I hadn't given the, the heads up because <laughs> I was a bad actor back then. Um, and uh, yeah, I called back and they told me I got the part in that uh, December in Morocco. And that's wow. right. We filmed in January because it was so freaking cold. It was so cold. And the other way that I remember the timing is that I was naked on top of Chris Holden Reed on my birthday, which is January 31st. So we filmed towards the end of January. Um, that's my, And it was freezing. It was it, freezing. Let's just say the glass factory was a nightmare to film in. I don't know if you were there, actually. I don't know if Vex I, was there. No, I, was only, I was only there for two days. Um, yeah, which is so crazy to me, Paul, because... Like I rewatched the episode and even though I believe you're in two scenes, but it I feels really, like you're in the entire thing. Well, everybody mentions him throughout it, right? So everybody the, mentions you and you have such a strong presence in the episode. So it's like, it's really centered around, I, I mean, just rewatching it. I was like, oh, Vex murdered three children. children. I mean, child killer. That's Which, that's pretty bad. I he mean, would definitely be cancelled today. I, totally I, I, cancelled. I, I don't know whether the execs would have let that one go today. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that it would happen. Out, I'm not so Which sure. Is, like the 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 heinous level of that crime, I don't think hit me at the time. Um, you know, oh, Vex yeah. was just the bad guy, but um, the redemption level was pretty high on Vex's front. <laughs> <flash>. <laughs> <laughs> For them to come around and enter him to be a, you know, have a little toy boy at the end and be what he was towards the end of the show is pretty crazy as he started out yeah. as a baby killer. As a baby yeah. killer. Exactly. Exactly. But, and so 
go ahead. Yeah, watching that, it's crazy thinking back to that time. To like 2009 was like it was a long time ago, and it I was a I, long time ago. I was really just starting out. I mean, I'd done a lot of theater at that point, and I'd moved over to um, Canada, but that was that was like I think the second or third thing that I did on TV and film here, and. I just remember everybody talking about that pilot for a long time. It was like, it was, people were like, this is a great, this is a good show if it goes, you know, and they were trying to cast it for a while. And a lot of people had been up for it. And yeah, it was, it was a really great, like one of first gigs to have as a younger sort of, sort of fledgling actor, particularly in Canada, because it was hard to, it was always hard to get any, jobs i think that were that had the potential to go outside of the boundary of canada and it seemed that this for the first time there was particularly when we started filming it there was a, a there was an acute understanding that this was trying to up the game on the production value for canadian tv absolutely and i i actually think that that's what lost girl did i think it really blazed a new trail um for something that could look more international mm-hmm. and feel more international. And, uh, you know, David Green, our DP made the, made us look incredible. We look like a comic book come to life, you know? Yeah, it was amazing. Everybody, everybody looked great. And I think that really helped, you know, it's, it, you felt like you were stepping onto a proper stage and there was yeah. a potential that if we all did a really great job, that um, this had the potential to go a lot further afield. And that was such a nice feeling to have. I mean, particularly for me, because I wasn't like, you know, I'm I'm Welsh and I came over here, but uh, I was very aware of what, you know, Canadian scene was and, you know, some degrees is, but I, I definitely think Lost Girl was one of those shows, you know, before some of the other kind of cheesier shows that made it further afield. Um this actually had something of a little bit more like grit and a little bit more fun and a little yes. bit more imagination. And it, it felt like it was playing on the same field, even though still we didn't quite have the same budgets as you might get if you were doing yeah. that sort of show in the, in the US. Totally. Um, and it seemed like they chose like really good people. Um, everybody was very excited. So even filming it in the, dead ass of winter it you know everyone was warm inside because i think we we all knew that we had the potential for something great and fortunately everybody did a great job in that pilot yeah and yeah. we were warm I, inside that's i love that that's true and i you know we were so lucky to have you in that pilot frankly i mean i don't i don't remember when we met i i'll tell you my first impression watching this episode for me was that i am so damn serious. I mean, I'm so serious in this episode. I, I think I was just terrified. And I think it actually kind of works for Bo because um, like she's got a one track mind. I'm so serious about everything. There's like zero humor in Bo at this point. Um, but I think I kind of liked it now looking back because it's how she entered this world. You know, it's frankly how Anna entered the world of it too. But um mm it was interesting to see that. And it, what, you know, was, and the other thing is that we were all more raw and natural looking. Like I had very little makeup on, um, Mm. and everything just looked a little more raw to me. And the, the pilot had this 
dark, dark, dark tone, which you just talked about, which I, I mean, personally, I like dark, gritty stuff. I know it doesn't seem like my personality would say that, but it's true. I like sort of darker stuff. Mm-hmm. And the reason it didn't act as our pilot, which means usually it would air as our first episode, was because they wanted to change the tone of the show a little bit after they filmed it. And it was because I think they wanted it to fit into an international market um, because there was like True Blood was on at the time and that was really gritty and dark and they wanted to lighten things up, which they successfully did, which I was unsure about because I wasn't sure how I was going to fit into that. Mm -hmm. It all worked out in the end, as we know. It all has a very, very happy ending. But that's what was so interesting about our pilot too, is that it was kind of the one that, it's kind of the one that stands out from all of them in terms mm. of the look and feel was just a little bit, yeah. just had well, a little w- bit more edge. Yeah, it was very sort of, uh, I remember it was very sort of Christopher Nolan time of comic books, right? So yeah, I think uh, we had even, you know, myself, you, you were looking at people like, you know, Heath Ledger was, you know, sort of the benchmark for the type of archetype that, you know, I was l- playing in that you know, Vex was very kind of Jokerish in that sense in the pilot episode. So there was, you know, there was, that was the benchmark and it was gritty and it was dark and, you know, there was perversion to it. It was the, the you know, in, in the grittier sense, but I think, you know, I, I, I conflicted by that sometimes because like, you know, I'm like, m- maybe I could have been in the show that I like to watch more. But would that have gone past a certain stage? And how far could we have gone with some of the storylines that we did go through with? And I think the sugar, the spoonful of sugar that we fed people with, with that show, allowed us to maybe punch through with some, some subject matters that really were fairly taboo and forbidden at that time. Yeah. You know, I 100% agree with you. That's so well put. It's, and that's exactly how I felt too. Um, I, I mean, we were so lucky to have everyone writing the show who was writing the show and, uh, everyone performing it. But I, I think so too. I think we, everything was done exactly right in the end, you know, um, you were incredible on it, of course. You were in two scenes and it felt like you were in the whole thing. Yes, I know we were talking about Vex through the whole thing, but it's just, you are such an incredible performer to watch and and to perform with. Um, you use your entire body. Vex, Vex, in those two scenes you were in, Paul, he was horrendously awful human, or not human, a horrendously awful being, a victim. I mean, uh uh, a coward, the most courageous, the, you know what I mean? Like he was everything, every, he was like, he was, to me, he was so damaged, but mm-hmm. enjoyed every second of it. And, and he he was so compelling for so many reasons. And I always wish that Bo and Vex had a little more together. I felt yeah. like we could have had more. I always felt, cause there was so many storylines going to that point or the potentiality of, and I know it would have been fun if they'd found out in some way that they were both siblings. Cause there was, yes. I felt like they were very much, uh, they were in juxtaposition to themselves and particularly in that pilot episode, because you're right, you were, you were so serious, which allowed Vex then to go even further the other way. Um, 100%. In- when I watched that last scene of Bo punches him and he just starts laughing and Bo's trying so 
hard. So hard. And it's just laughable. It's laughable to him. I love yeah. that. It's like, you know, when you, it's like when you get two magnets together, right? And then they just kind of push each other apart. But the force is, is so strong that they're trying to get as close together as possible, but there's something in between that's just not going to let them do it. And I, I always thought that I, because I, I, that scene as well, like you say, it was damaged. I thought Vex is actually just a, a lot of the C series. I think he's just looking for somebody just to end it for him. You know, he's because he can't, he doesn't have the, he doesn't really have the courage to, to end it himself because he doesn't like who he is. Um, so yeah. and when you say that, like, cause he was constantly pushing people's buttons, like exactly. constantly, when you say end it, you mean someone just to really call him out on it? Oh, just to end his life. Just to Oh, wow. Him. That, that much of an end. Yeah. You know, it's wow. just, I think yeah. there's, that was always like a, a usual driving force. I always thought for him was that he's just kind of looking for somebody to just you know, when you're just like, just, and, then, and in that episode, he's like, just do it. You know, he's the, you've got yeah. the thing and he's, cause he, I don't think he particularly enjoys his time, but he's trying, he's trying to enjoy it. But there's a, there's a time where he sits down with himself and that, you know, that's where the arc of the character, I think became more interesting is that he doesn't really like who he is and what's happened to him. Um, yeah. And, you know, the people who are the shittiest people in life, the bullies at school, um, you, you usually find out that they they really just don't like who they are. Yeah. Um, and they take it out on everybody else and they, they put up this affront that, you know, everything is all right. And they take the piss out of people and they do this, but actually they've got to sit down with themselves at some point. Yeah. So it, I, mean, I mean, it's I, the I, ultimate form of self-protection, right? You created yeah. a, 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 don't F with me persona yeah. and, and people won't. You know, yeah. it's sad. There was a lot of sadness in Vex. He was so compelling. Yeah, he was, a, you know, we all, we all got to play these characters that had those sort of, you know, journeys where there was a lot of more introspection and the arcs were fun, even with all the silly stuff that we did in the show. Um, <laughs> and there was yeah. lots. And there were <laughs> there lots. Was a, Not plenty of that. this episode, which is kind no. of, it is really mad going back. You're like, this was one serious show um, at that point. And then it just became, you know, the craziness that was. Um, it's funny though because that scene that when we were in Hamilton in that stripper club, <laughs> which was a real strip club, which was a real strip club, yeah, and it yeah. was interesting looking at the, the books. There was like a logbook of the stripper clubs <laughs> with all the money that went through. Do you? Were you in I the don't office? remember that. No, oh gosh, you went into the office. Yeah, there was an office and they still left their books. And it was like how much money people were taking out. And like wow. Trixie took a 324 <laughs> on her pole. <laughs> I'm really sorry I missed that. <laughs> yeah. And I say Trixie because Trixie Jones is my stripper name. So nice. um, I, had, I didn't know that. That's a, that's yeah. What's your stripper name? name? What's your stripper is it, name? Well, is it my middle name and my, what is it? it? It's, uh, I don't know. It's all done differently. It's your oh. ex first name and, and your street. parents, your mother's maiden name. Well, I, I thought, it, okay. So mine, when I was growing up, it was my pet's name and my street name. So it was Sugar St. John. Oh, I mean, come I mean, on. Trixie Jones and Sugar, Sugar St. John on the same bill. I know. It's, it's a match made in heaven. More than $324. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, we, we, oh. we should discuss this, this next career move for us. <laughs> I remember it was like a ridiculously long day, that one. And it, Hamilton is always a pain to get to anyway. It um, is. 
And we filmed until I think it was 4.30 in the morning. And I, I, it, we had been filming all day, the two of us. And then I remember we had to go home together. It was a very, very important lesson for me to learn as an actor to uh, where you are on the call sheet. Because <laughs> I remember we were going up the gardener and uh, I was literally living just off the gardener. Oh no, did and they drive you, me home first? You were further, that- way further on. You were like 40 minutes on. <laughs> and I, I remember asking the driver, I was like, hey, dude, where are you going? I live right there. And he was like, no, 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 man. Number one goes fair. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh, God. Oh, that's awful. That is awful. Night. I don't remember that, but that is awful. <laughs> It wasn't your fault, but you certainly kept quiet. In the I back. kept, I guess, I kept quiet. Gosh, I'm so sorry, Paul. I'll, I'll make no, that no, up no, to no, you. No. That's very funny. If I was um, number one, I'd go home first too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that was our last night of shooting, wasn't it? I, I think feel like it was, it was. Uh, because they, um, it, they didn't care. Like I think Jay just like wrote the checkbook out because you know set we we were day. It was like a 17 day shoot, right? It was, it was two or two. It was more than our typical time. I know that. Yeah. It was long. Um, It was because he, oh, maybe, I can't remember. I just, usually those apps are done in what, seven, eight days, unless it's a bottle episode in about six. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. uh, (laughs) One location. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Seven or eight days is what we usually got. I think we shot the pilot in 10 or 12. Something yeah, like maybe that. 12. Yeah, maybe. And yeah. it was 17 hours was that last, but you oh, really yeah. start getting some serious cash when you start getting into 17, 18 hours. You do. Straight through. And I remember just wanted to get everything in. And, you know, he was, it didn't really matter how long we went that night. It was like. No, I think, like you said, everyone was excited to be there. I mean, we had, uh, everyone was so committed to it. Everyone felt like they were on something different mm-hmm. and special. So people were so committed to it. I know. Um, and I think most people just thought they were in a Coldplay video, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you mean because of the, the look of it or? No, no, just because Chris was in it. I oh, was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Um, the look of the show, though. I mean, I think the inspiration for the pilot, which certainly came from John Fawcett, was like Fight Club, right? They wanted that kind of dilapidated backdrop fight club feel. Yeah. And you know, our pilot was shot on film as well. It was the only one ever shot on film, which gives it just a little bit of a different look, which is cool. Yeah. And I, do you know, I I remember as well, because you asked me watching it, I had that pilot in my possession for such a long time because Chris being Chris, you know, you'd always get like, you'd always be able to get something first, right? So Chris had like a CD of that pilot that I had to go and meet him in Chinatown to get because he used to live in Chinatown. And I remember meeting him and, you know, it was very covert too. He was like, don't tell anybody else you've got this. Don't tell anybody else, you know. And he was really kind of happy with the pilot. And I had, and then I downloaded it onto my computer and I had it for ages. And I showed loads of people that pilot before it went on. You know, the first time I saw the pilot, I was in a hotel room in Toronto. I got a copy of the DVD. My friend Rob, who is not related to the show, but he was visiting me at the hotel. And then I got a copy and Rick was in town. 
Rick, who played Trek, I called him over. The only TV in the hotel that would work was in the bedroom. So I laid on the bed between Rob and Rick, who had just met each other, and we watched the pilot <laughs> in the hotel bed. Um, that I just remembered that that's the first time I was yeah. between two men in a hotel room bed. I know. Uh, yes. I've, I, I've, I've been in hotel rooms with other cast members too. <laughs> I remember with Chris and Emmanuel one time at like four in the morning, and that's terrible. But I, we, we all, that's kind of testimony to how much, how well we all got on as a as a cast. Yeah. You know, uh, pretty yeah. from, pretty much from early doors. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember hanging out with a lot of people in that cast a lot of times. We, yeah. we got kind of lucky in that sense. I know a lot of casts, you know you know, hang out with each other. And it was also, I think what really helped some of us was that we were at the advent of, we're like comic cons and things like that and communities and fandoms really started to flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we got lucky with that as well. I think the timing of when our show came out, because it was actually another, it was a year until the pilot got picked up, right? It was. So I remember that was a fairly long wait too. Um, I, I remember being in the car when I found out I was driving to Milverton around here in the middle of nowhere. I remember being really happy and then thinking, wow, can't wait. And thinking the pilot was going to be episode one Yeah. and then getting the phone call that it was going to be episode eight and that I got introduced <laughs> to episode eight and I wouldn't be in until the last but one episode or something. Oh. And you know, it's like, you go, yay, we got picked up. And then you're like, yeah. oh shit, I'm not in until like the very end. I of know this, this like- business finds a way always, right? It finds I a way know. to go like, here you go. Oh, wait a second. No, 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 wait, wait a second. Wait. One more little thing. Yeah. I know. No, um, yeah. The other thing about season one though, once we got picked up is that we came, we went to series, we shot episode one and then we shot everything else out of order, which I will never understand why we did that. I would have to ask some, someone higher up, but it was so confusing to me. You know, we'd get notes like Chris and I would get a note like you, you guys already, you know, hooked up, but now you're mad at each other because of this. And now this is happening. Go. Uh, okay. It just felt it would have been nice to have a more organic evolution of that, I think. Yeah. It I all think. worked out in the end. But it did all work out. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was kind of, I mean, it was strange coming back in after, you know, being the first episode, I think it was episode 11. So it was weird because you'd all like, there was this other show that had been created almost. Yeah. And I do actually remember that my episode 11, I think I was sort of more in the vein of eight, which is, I think was weirder for some of you because you'd started like, toying with different styles on the show, you know, in yes. terms of the characters. Yeah. I was like fully immersed in the episode eight baby killer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were still doing mind hunter or something, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, it was kind of weird coming in on that show. And it, I don't, it took, I think about until season a little bit in season two, when I'd seen the full season one, when it aired, and then we started doing season two again that I got a kind of a, an idea of like what the show, you know, was becoming mm-hmm. and how, you know, there was a need to adjust sort of certain performances um, to, to, to get more with it in terms of the show to, to fit in. And, um, yeah. and I think by the time season two ended, there was, a, there was a more of a coherent 
kind of feel of what we were all doing and you know in terms of the style and where the show was going yeah Yeah. we definitely dropped in at one point went like oh okay we get this we get it you know yeah Um, I think part of the you know some of the not knowing made it gave it a lot of its charm in the beginning though probably there was layers of that of people kind of trying to fit you know uh what I loved about our cast is like everyone loved their own character so much and like knew their own character and then I just felt like there was this massive amount of support around that for each other. Mm. So even if we didn't really know the tone or the feel, we just still kind of found it together. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, well, everybody got to play so many diff- different styles of acting in the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, um, certain people really shone in certain fields. Mm-hmm. And I think working with, you know, you're only as good as, you know, as, as the people you're surrounded by. Um, and it was kind of fun because I think that really, uh, that really rubbed off on everybody else's performances that when people were so good at one thing, you were like, I'm going to steal bits of that in little bits of mine. Mm-hmm. And I felt by the end of it, we were almost like interchangeable to a degree. There was a lot of like, people would like, do what you were doing a little bit more. And then and it, there was just a constant exchange of things. That was like happening. a family, like a family, like, right? Like, like family, you get to know yeah. each other. Yeah. And that's what made it fun. I think as an actor is that you, every time you got an episode, you weren't quite sure what the style of what you were going to be doing was. And sometimes it'd be like four different things that you'd be like, Oh, wow, I guess uh, you're going to stretch my, you know, my capacity as an actor, this episode. And that was yeah. really fun. Cause you don't, you really, it's hard to explain to a viewer or somebody that's just not in the profession that it's really difficult to get that a lot of the time. Usually when you're playing a character, there is a very small box that you get to work in. Um, unless you're really lucky to work on some of the really great stuff, but you know the plethora of work that gets made in the world and how much good stuff there is. Yeah. Um, that, that was really just, I mean, it was a, it was a real gift of a show in that sense. Um, it was, it was a, it was a gem. It was a, for me, I mean, it was, there's, there, there won't be another role like that. Not to say there won't be something great or fun, but there won't be anything like that, you know, um, with that much diversity in the performance or in, in the, the amount of material I had to, to go through over those seasons and all of us, you know, it, it was yeah. very unique. I'm very really special. honest really honest diversity too. So like, uh, if, you know, on that subject, cause that, that's kind of the show really did excel at that, I think. 
And it was, it was diversity without canceling anybody for being what they were. Yes. So and, it, it, and without slamming people over the head with it, it wasn't, it. look what we're about to do. Look at us. And look, you know, it was everybody yeah. had a platform and everybody had a voice mm-hmm. and that's all it is. And, you know, uh, we had some really awful characters in that show. If you talk to them as human beings, but there was always a sense of like, like even Vex, for instance, right? Horrible, horrible things and things to do. But there was like a, another angle of like, well, you know, let's give somebody a chance at least to explain themselves. And maybe people aren't as bad as you think. You just got to give everybody a little bit more of a chance. Um, to explain themselves before you cancel them completely. And I think our show was at that really great zeitgeist of the time of being able to be diverse and really give people a voice. And, the, and there was not too much judgment involved. Yeah. Um, and it, that's, I think, the really neat thing that we got to see with the show and with the audience members who, fortunately, we got to meet quite a few of them. Um, as we went on, you know, and yeah, as, know. as the show got more popular, we got to get to, you know, go to comic cons and all that kind of stuff. But you actually yeah. get to meet the people that watch the you show. Do. You do, which it. is so, I mean, such a rare thing for an actor to do that, really. It's because of the, the sci-fi world that we're in, you know, that really lends itself to this. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast is because of the fans. I mean, just the the amount of support and attention this show has gotten has really birthed this idea for this podcast because it, it feels like enough time has passed for a little rewatch and a trip down memory lane. And, and it's a really a kind of a love letter to all the people that supported us. Yeah. I, it, that, that's, a, ex, that's kind of, yeah, this is, a, that's a nice way of putting what this is. Um, yeah. We were, we were lucky in that sense. Cause as an actor, you don't always, you're very much in your own little, narcissistic bubble at times, you know, or I, I, at least prior to that. And I didn't, you know, even doing theater, you kind of meet your audience, but you don't, and you don't really know how much, uh, if the work that you're doing has purpose and, you know, you, you know, you're entertaining people and you're in, you know, that's what your, you know, your gift to the world or whatever it is, but you don't necessarily see the impact of anything yeah. that you do. So yeah. not to say that what we were doing was completely revolutionary and life-changing, but for some people it really was. I think um, for some people it absolutely was. And also the the sense of community, which, you know, given where we've been over the past couple of years, um, you know, was a really profound thing for a lot of people because it gave them a sense of community. And mm-hmm. those people didn't always have that. Or, you know, it was it, they were finding communities at that time through social media, which was new to us. Cause I remember we all joined Twitter, you know, and I uh, think when the, when the series started, I had a hot pink flip phone. I mean, that's what I had, I think. And it was like called the razor or whatever. Like it was cool. Oh, wow. That was, and it took like grainy blurry photos from very far away. So wow. it has come a long way since then. That sounds like the stripper phone too. It, it does. <laughs> Trixie, does. Sugar, sugar St. John's phone. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions here. So best memory or favorite part of this episode? I think we've touched on a lot of that already. I mean, I one thing I loved seeing, or one thing that was tricky for me in this episode, there's a lot of my audition scenes in this episode, right? So the scene with Zoe on the couch before our big love scene, we're on the couch, we're chatting, we make out, 
that was an audition scene. And then post lovemaking with Zoe, that was my audition scene. So I had done them so much with a lot of different people in the room before I had done that on set. So those were really um, challenging scenes to film because they were so ingrained in me. Um, What did you find the most difficult thing to film? I mean, you probably auditioned to both of those scenes, I'm guessing. Do you remember? Well, you know, I, I died in my audition scene. So, you know, as far as... <laughs> you did? Yeah, Vex died in, in the original pilot. Yeah, he, he actually was... It wasn't until I filmed the first scene that they decided to rewrite the death scene at the end. Wow. Well, that I, I mean, know. that's a testament to you right there. Well, but how awesome is that? It was awesome. But it was weird because I always, I remember saying, it's like when I got the gig, it was great and all, but I was like, I'd die in the pilot. That's going to suck. This show's <laughs> going to go on. And if it's successful, I'm not going to be in it, but I had a really cool part. That doesn't make sense. Um, unfortunately, I think Jay, like, um, he, he was like, no, I think we're going to keep him alive just in case. <laughs> um, I think they were always trying, the writers were always trying to kill me on that show. Um, but um, yeah, there was nothing difficult for me. I just, you know, everything was so much fun with that character. Yeah. There was no real difficult things. I think uh, that other, other than the concrete floors and having to jump down in them like fifty. Oh minutes. yes, yes. Yeah. I think for me, the fight scene um, in the pilot, which was with the in the bathtub with that stunt woman. Oh yeah. Which yeah, yeah. so that fight scene, I remember it was a sixteen-hour shoot day of fighting. Yeah. Um. I had, of course, an incredible stunt double and I, I, I can't swim. I didn't tell anybody this. I can't, I've never gone underwater properly. I have now because my, my kids have actually taught me how to swim in my, in my older, later years. But at that time, I was terrified to put my head underwater. And here I was getting thrown into a bathtub by this really strong, capable stunt woman thrown across rooms, like smashed through walls. It was a 16-hour day, which is why that fight scene looks so epic, right? Yeah, yeah filmed by John Fawcett with that, that many hours dedicated to it. It was exhausting, but amazing. And yeah. then the love scene with Chris in the beginning, the opening sequence of that pilot was amazing to see this yeah, like, bloody cool. woman coming down the hallway and Chris hitting the heavy bag, being all Chris, you know, yeah. um, that love scene that we, we filmed was like doing a fight scene, honestly, because oh. it was so physical. So I just remember at the end of that pilot going like, Oh my gosh, like I'm in for some crazy, physical it's stuff a, yeah, on this show. Season's going to be like that. I know. Yes. Yeah. I thought that too, because we did a lot of stunt work. Like I, I was on wires, you know, Yes. never really, were. never really happened that much after that point. But I was like, do I fly in this show? Are we flying? Is that kind of stuff going to be happening? And yeah, you know, um, with Paul and Plato, I remember going out and, you know, doing lots of wire work, getting ready for it. Um, yeah. And I, at same here, I remember after that uh, 17 hours of filming, because uh, I jumped down from the balcony mm-hmm. and I had to land in that spot and it was like a solid concrete floor. I could barely walk the next day. And I remember I thinking the same. I was like, wow, this is a, f- a little bit more physical, particularly because I had this ridiculously tight leather suit on. Um, Which you I loved. Back, you and loved. I looked back like, yeah to a point but i was like it looked like i was wearing like a collar 
And I look back on that pilot and I was like, I think I was like almost like strangled to death half the time. Because like, <laughs> I swear to God, at one point, it looks like I'm like my whole head's about to explode. My head looks a lot bigger in that episode. And I think <laughs> the collar was strangling me to death. <laughs> Your head was actually swelling. It was actually swelling yeah. as it went on. As the day went on. So I look at it, I go, I think my head's that big in real life. I mean, obviously people would say otherwise. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I did think the clothing was going to be difficult because I was a, they were fairly tight and and did such a great job, Dixon, of, you know. Yes. That, those were some of my fun bits as well, actually, going back to that, is going in. I know they all have mood boards, but not many people have mood boards like Anne. Like her, her mood boards were pretty intense when you walked into the wardrobe department. And that was so much fun. And I had really, you know, some of the shows I'd done prior to that were, didn't really have any level like that to it and when we first went in i was like oh wow this is where we're going and oh this is where we're taking the costumes i was like wow okay this is fun well and every those elements of the show were other characters on the show right i mean they just they and dixon's you can't create those characters without the right wardrobe or without the right hair makeup or you know uh yeah sandy Sandy as well right so on the first bit and yeah, they really, they gave you a chance to explore a bit. And I, I really did feel like we had input, which yeah. again is something you don't always get. Generally, you show up and it's like, we've made these choices for you. Um, but at the beginning of a process with collaborators, which is what a lot of the people I think that worked on that pilot were, um, yeah. there's a difference between people that work and collaborators. Um, and, you know, John was very much a collaborator. Mm-hmm. Um and very much, I, th- I think Jay too, as a, as a producer, was very open um, to ideas for the characters, and we all got to explore that. So, I think that's one of the reasons also why it became successful because I think we all had something invested in it that was very yeah. much our own. Which there was a piece of us in it. There, you know, it, it, we could walk into the room before we opened our mouths. The story was told by how we looked, and we had input into that look. And we, you know, we there was just a little bit of us everywhere. Um, and we're such an eclectic group that it made for interesting storytelling. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Paul, this has been amazing. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> this has been really, really great. No, yeah. Thank you. And, and everyone listening, I know is going to love this episode. Um, this episode is so special to me, obviously, cause it was the, the pilot that I booked at some point in my life yeah. um, that really changed my career and all of us a little bit here and there. I mean, we, we, we all can still talk about this show this many years later. Um, and it it matters to people and it matters to us and you matter to me. And one day Bo and Vex can can do something, (laughs) become strippers or something. Um, Geriatrics version. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Lost old lady. And yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So, we are going to end the episode here and say goodbye to Paul. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Um, tune in next time for episode nine and um, Paul, take care. And I hope that I see you in person very soon. Okay. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to today's Spotlight. I am so excited to introduce our Spotlight for today. Having her appear after we have just finished discussing episode eight, which was our pilot episode, is very fortunate because she is the woman responsible for finding the actors who so beautifully fit all of the characters on our show. She has been nominated for and won multiple Canadian Screen Awards, including nominations for Last Girl, and she won an Emmy Award for her brilliant casting of the hit comedy series Schitt's Creek. On a more personal note, she is the casting director who gave me my very first job <laughs> when I started pursuing my dream. And I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever met a bigger advocate for a performer while going through the audition process. I know I speak for every one of the cast of Lost Girl when I say she is truly a gem. Please welcome the wonderful Lisa Parison. Lisa! Anna, you're going to make me cry, honestly. <laughs> that was just the nicest thing. Thank you. Thank you beautiful. so much for being here. Honestly, doing this rewatch podcast has been, I cry all the time because <laughs> it's nice. been such a trip down memory lane. Um, as you know, it was a big show and uh, a big part of my life. Yeah. Um, Huge. So I know for people watching, they're going to want to hear from you, Lisa, because when we go to conventions or when I, whenever I've done any kind of press, the casting of this show is always brought up. Always, always, always. Um, because I think it was very uh, groundbreaking and, and thoughtful. And um, I would love to hear more about that. So my first question for you is, what is the process of casting a show? And what was that process specifically like while you were casting Lost Girl? Well, um, that's a big question. I know. <laughs> but, um, but a really excellent question, too. Um, the process for casting the sh any show is kind of the same. I get the script and I break it down, you know, character by character. And then I start the search. I think of people in my head first who I think would be perfect for the role. And then I also get, you know, the suggestions from the agents. And sometimes that helps, sometimes it doesn't. It just, it all depends on the whole landscape of the show. But with Lost Girl, you know, it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. You know, for 2010, I think is when it started, I yeah. think. Um, and I looked back over the cast before we actually started this. And I, I was pretty shocked too. We had a lot of great people on the show. People have really gone on to do big, big things after this. Um, but in the very beginning, when I read that script, I thought, wow, this is going to be challenging. Like to find Bo is going to be the hardest thing about this show because you can definitely cast around everybody else. But, you know, your character was the focus. She was the whole show. If you didn't work, the show wouldn't have worked. And I think it's a big testament to you and what you did with that character that it really worked as well as it did. Because when I read the log line and I went back into casting workbook and I, I found the actual synopsis for your oh, wow. character, which I'm going to send to you because it's a great keepsake. Um, Thank you. It's, it was just no, no small feat to fill those shoes of this girl who at the time was bisexual, which was cutting edge 
as it was at that time. Mm-hmm. And just the, the, the machinations that you had to go through to be Bo, you know, that was a lot. And I, I tell this, this story often when I talk to people, um, I don't know if I've even ever told you this story, but when I was looking for her, you had this commercial that was on TV at the time for Nicorette. And I still find it the funniest commercial ever. And I also went back and rewatched that because it's still there floating around. And Anna, you were so funny. And that was one of the most important things to find in this character is somebody with humor and warmth. And you would not really think about that when you were looking at this character until you saw you take over the character. because. You needed humanity. You needed kindness, which you have in spades, by the way. You needed somebody who was fearless and fun. And you had all those things, but you were also so inherently funny. And that was really, really key. I, I love that you used that commercial to, I had oh, no I idea. It. And I tell people all the time, they're like, what about self-tapes? I said, you know, and commercials. We don't want to do commercials. We're below commercials. Well, that commercial really went a long way in helping you get that job. I have to tell you. I had no, I mean, I knew that commercial was, was a a bit of a game changer for me. And in terms of how people were seeing me, but I had no idea that it, it, you know, led to you seeing it too. That's so cool. It still holds up today. It does. They really should use it. They Again. should. It was really, really it was really well written. Oh, yes. that's so that's so cool, Lisa. I didn't know that. Yeah. And people say, really? She got the job on the strength of a commercial. I said, it took her a long way. Because yeah. everybody I remember we all sat, all of the executives, and we watched that commercial together. And I also told um who was it at the time? Uh, which network? I think it was Global. And they watched it too. And I said that she, it it just tells you everything about Anna watching this commercial. She can deliver it all. Trust me when you see this, that this is the girl. Well, this is what makes you so good at your job though, too. I mean, it's your instincts to know that because Bo on paper looked just like sex, 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 you know, sexual creature, sex. And so um, for you to have the insight and the instincts on that is, is really what um, makes you so good at what you do and, and really what cast this show in a way that resonated with people so much. I mean, for the whole cast going to conventions, which is a, something actors don't usually get to meet their fan base. Um, the, the casting of this show and the characters that, that you filled the roles of impacted people so much to this day. I meet brand new fans of the show. That's and so, so nice. yeah, I hope you know the 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 impact you have had on yes, so many thank people. You. I I I honestly think those conventions are such a cool cool thing because to actually let you go face to face with people and let them to see what a human person you really are and all the actors, it really goes a long way to even creating a, a stronger bond for okay. the audience. I've totally. never been to one. I'm going to go one time. You'll have to come with me. <laughs> I would love it. Oh, I want to see it. I want to um, see it. My next question for you is what are some of the biggest challenges of your job? Just as a casting um, director, what are some of the biggest challenges? 
Well, everything's changed so much since the pandemic for everybody on a number of levels. But for me, the biggest challenge would be um, making everybody happy. Um, because, you know, I can't really sit in a room with anybody anymore. And I'm talking producers, directors, um, network studios, people like that. You can't really sit with them when they're watching a tape or you can't have the person in the room and get that immediate um, conversation going with the director. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of requirements and people, it seems, are much more critical of tape than they are when they meet somebody in the room. Right. Like uh, meeting somebody in the room, you feel the warmth of the person, you, you really can connect with the actor. You can't do that so much on tape. Yeah. You can on Zoom, but if you're just watching a self-tape, it's difficult. So there's so many people to impress now, and there's so many people to sell that audition to. Right. So I understand from your point of view, that's difficult. And it's difficult from mine too, because I have to take you and know what I know about you and then parlay that into 15 other people's heads yeah. and tell them how great you are and all separately. It right. can't all be at one time anymore. So yeah. Because without that, without being in the room, because I can remember during the casting process of Lost Girl, once I had been cast and coming in to read with Chris... Uh, well, that was the yes. first time, I guess. And then the other characters and all that stuff. I remember being in the room. I, me- I remember some of those conversations. And so you it's you have that sort of nuance of the social interaction and yeah. picking up on other people's cues and collectively seeing something. It's different. Yes. Yeah. And, and nipping a problem in the bud at yeah. that moment. If somebody had something that they didn't like, you could counter that and say, but listen, let's try that again. So you can see them get over that problem or tell them why that problem's happening or you can't do that anymore. They just take that one audition at face value and it either goes or it doesn't. So it's, that's, that's a big challenge for me is trying to just keep everybody happy basically and and on board. Right. Yeah. And the other thing I will say is very challenging is going on auditions for jobs. I don't oh, yeah. think people realize Yeah, that. tell us about that because it's so yeah. on auditions. And we aren't actors. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know anything about acting ourselves. We only can judge acting. So that's that's difficult knowing that, you know, a job you really, really want, um, that there's probably six or seven other people all auditioning for that same job, basically. Right. And so you have to kind of pitch yourself. You do. And we're not used to talking about ourselves. Right. We're used to watching people and talking about them, not us, about right. us. Yeah. You know? So that's that's challenging for me. I'm I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, what are some of your best memories about casting Lost Girl? Because another thing that people talk about a lot are all the guest stars we had over the years. I mean, yeah. I it was an embarrassment of riches, frankly. Every week someone would come in and I'd just be like, wow. Wow. Like, and everyone felt like that. Like it it felt like the guest stars were showing up so ready and so excited to be there. And so what, what are some of your best memories of casting the show? Well, that is kind of my best memory in itself is that I didn't have to talk anybody into being on the show. People were so excited to do it because it was a way to really suspend reality for them. It was, it was just come and have fun. Basically just come and have fun with Anna. 
you know, that sounds a bit risque these days, <laughs> but it was, everybody was just, they knew it would be fun. And that I, I can't even think of a show right now that I work on or that I've worked on in the past that had that kind of following where people were so excited to be on it, where people would phone their agents and say, if you've got anything on Lost Girl, um, I'm available instead yeah. of, you know, don't call me unless it's for a guest star role or don't, don't do this and, do, right. you know, telling me what they don't want to do instead of telling me what that they really want to do it. Yeah. So that was a really nice thing that I could kind of have a, a selection of anybody. Well, it showed because as soon as they would come to set, I mean, when people show up that excited, it just elevates the material no matter what. It, it, it elevates the experience for everybody. And there yeah. were times when I felt like I had to, you know, because I was in it every day, every day, they'd show up and yeah. breathe new life at me and, and all these different things. It was so exciting. Well, um, I, have to, I have to say one other thing about that is that you being number one on the call sheet, you were the team leader the cheerleader, you, you set the tone for everybody else. And that is everybody's dream is for a casting director, for a producer is to have somebody like you being number one, because Anna, you did a lot of stuff. You did a lot of stunts on your own. You did a lot of running around. You did a lot of jumping and being crazy and you never, ever, ever, ever complained. And that is unheard of for a number one unheard of. And everybody took your lead and sort of did the same thing. And that's, that's really nice for us to be able to say, you know, if I would talk to an agent that didn't know much about the show, I'd say, honestly, she's the best. They will just have the best time. Even if you're not getting paid the most money in the world, right. you're going to have a great time. And I think Thank that you. was the resounding note that everybody felt that they always had a great time. Oh, so that's thank a, you a very testament much. to you. It's very true. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say and it touches me yeah. a lot. Lisa, thank you so much. Um, what makes, I had this question for you specifically. I was wondering, what do you think is the difference and what makes the difference between a good casting director and a great casting director of which you are clearly in the latter category? Thank but you. what what do you think is that difference? Um. Geez, that's a good question. Um, I would just say for, for me, how I've gotten better, I think, as a casting director is I, I really listen to the auditions now. I really listen how the actor is listening. Mm -hmm. I just wa I just carefully watch the auditions. And maybe that's, that's been with the advent of so many self tapes is that I don't get to just, come in and see you and say, Anna, and just know that I love you. Like I really watch now. And I know that sounds terrible as casting director. Like I didn't watch before I did, right. but I don't, I don't have that personal connection as much anymore. So it's not, I don't just get that great feeling from you and think, oh yeah, let's just, let's just do that. I really listen. And so I see a lot more that way mm -hmm. by not just liking somebody very much right. and then getting them to do something, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big thing. And, and also just with all the great material that's out there now, um, and you just have like so many people to choose from, it's nice to, to sort of dream cast in your head and follow like that. Mm -hmm. So I think 
I do that a lot. I think who, if I could have anybody in the whole world in that part, who's that person? And then I just kind of descend the order from there. Right. So. It's so cool. I mean, what you do is so creative too. I mean, you have to be a creative thinker. You have to have a lot of different skills, but you also have to be creative. You do. You know, it's and a creative I don't space. People understand that. Yeah. And you have to talk to people a lot. You have to talk to the producers and the directors and everybody has their own vision and everybody has their own thought of who that character is going to be. And they want you to bring, if it's not their exact vision, they want you to bring pieces of what they're thinking uh, to that character. So right. again, it's all, it's a lot of uh, creative organization, right? <laughs> Getting everybody creatively on the same page and, yeah. and working with those people too to bring their vision to life. Mm-hmm. It's not really my vision; it's it's really theirs. Who I'm trying to recreate for them. Mm-hmm. And that's the good thing about everything being different, every project being different. Because if I just picked everybody, it probably wouldn't be that interesting. But by you know getting the best out of the producer yeah. and the director and pulling that all together. That's really how we do great work. Even if I disagree with the choice. Right. And what you were so good at doing was creating a space where actors could come into that space. And they didn't necessarily know that that was all set up for them, but if everyone, I've talked to so many actors over the years, some that were never even on Lost Girl that talked about your audition room and that experience because they felt like they landed somewhere that had, um, energy and growth and like it felt supportive, but also uh, alive, you know? So that's, that's the nicest compliment that you could ever give. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's well-earned. It is well-earned. Thank you. Um, a lot of our listeners are very creative. Um, yes. They write a lot of fan fiction. They, they've shared so many different stories with me. So for anyone out there listening, if they are interested in getting involved in casting, how would you encourage them to begin? Well, you know, it's a difficult thing because there's not really a school. Right. There's not really a course. Um, so it is one of those sort of tough to access positions. Right. But in the olden days, I would have said, just go volunteer to uh, intern with a casting director because it's kind of the only way you get to see the process. Is It's the same process pretty much on every show but every single thing is different. So it's kind of that crazy, um, you know, 50, 50 draw there that sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's not. But what I would say now is I guess, um, you could volunteer to be a reader, Mm -hmm. uh, because you get to see a lot. I do. I've done that before in my early days. Yes. Always helpful. Like there isn't anybody, even like when you came and you were reading with, um, potential actors on Lost Girl. Don't you learn so much just by seeing different so people read the same lines? Mm-hmm. Just totally. different choices, yeah. different inflections, different accents, different whatever. And it just feeds that whole thought process. Yeah. Um, so I would say become a reader, even if you're a great actor, try it, go for a couple of, couple of sessions and basically just see if you can somehow mirror a casting director for even a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, or become a casting assistant. That's right. the easiest. Talk to your casting directors and beg, basically, because we there is a very high turnover in casting because it's such a, um, 
an administrative job as well as a creative job. People don't realize that, but it really is. So a lot of people uh, come in and out being casting assistants. So there's there's a big need for good ones. Yeah. There. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. You're Lisa welcome. Harrison, thank for you. For joining us today. Um, honestly, our listeners are so lucky to get to meet Aww. you because so casting nice. of this show was is something that, like I said, is so, so discussed. And now everybody, you get to see the incredible woman who, who put us all into these characters for you to enjoy. I think so, we should do it again. You. I think we should do Lost Girl again. I think so too. I think, I actually think we could do a reboot. I think it's been I long enough so. yeah. that we could all come back and, and we have more stories so, to tell. Listen, every other show does a reboot. I know. So just me. Why shouldn't we? Let's get on it, Lisa. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> i uh, Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody listening. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast, which is produced by Anna Silk, Rachel Scarston, and Seth Cooperman, with theme music by our very own Blood King, Rick Howland. Please rate, review, and share the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast. This enables us to grow and to continue bringing you exciting new content every week. If you don't already, follow us on Instagram and on our YouTube channel at Lost Girl Rewatch. You can also subscribe to Patreon for exclusive bonus episodes made just for you and get early access to all of our episodes. Okay, I have another question for you. Rachel's going to laugh. Okay, ready? Okay, you have to spend the rest of your life like this. Okay, would you rather spend the rest of your life with a dog's body and your head or your body and a dog's head? And why? I, I think I could be a dog. Wait, would- the head or the body? Like my head on the dog's body. Really? Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> what kind of dog? I, I know. Like, I'm a bit yappy, so maybe a Yorkshire Terrier. <laughs> wow. I feel like that's a very um, confident choice. Yeah, I'm thinking of myself as an animated character now, and I'm like, yeah, probably Yorkshire Terrier. A little bit yappy, pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. 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 Needs a little training. Ankle snapper. Yeah. <laughs> looking for scraps. Whipper snapper looking for scraps <laughs> all the time. Just I love it. Avenger. Love it. Paul, yeah. that was ridiculous and wonderful. And thank you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 